Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Crystal Silence League Hour, live from Divine Harmony Spiritual Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, on the LMC Radio Network, a show dedicated to open-minded discussion of spirituality, new thought, prayer, and the practical use of crystals. And now, your host, the Reverend John St. Germain. Good evening, and uh, happy February 16th, whatever that is. And, uh, man, is it cold here, you know, to hell with that groundhog. I, I owe him a ass-kicking. Um, <laughs> it's really cold here in Tennessee. I went outside, and it, it, any part of your body that was exposed to the cold, any exposed skin immediately lost any sensation. What First of all, there was this agonizing pain as the cold hit you, and uh, – it was that wind that found any crack in your armor. I don't care how warmly you were dressed. It would it would find you like a scalpel and cut into your skin. And uh, um, oh Lord! And then within a few seconds uh, after that initial agonizing blast of Arctic cold, you immediately lost sensation as the nerve endings froze and life was drained from your body. And uh, that's just walking from the back door to the car. You know, good God. And, uh, of course, being that cold, it takes forever for your car to warm up. And uh, oh, it was just terrible. It was just terrible. But for goodness sake, we have a few more days of that, too, down here. This Arctic vortex blistering its way through the south. Even Texas has uh, uh, cold weather. And, you know, in Texas, uh, their pipes are not buried. Did you know that? Um, in Texas, they're not buried. So in the summer, the the, the water gets really hot, and uh, um, so apparently in the swimming pools and stuff, uh, they they tell you don't drink the water in the summer because it gets hot. And of course, the bacteria uh, swelters and steams all through it, and the swimming pools grow um, listeria and all other kind. You know what listeria is? It's a brain-eating bacteria, which actually explains a lot. You know, when you think about Texas, um, and. Uh, of course, now Texas um, has taken their power grid off of uh, the, the government network. And uh, since, uh, gosh, for like 100 or more years, uh, Texas has been threatening to secede from the union. And apparently they have some um, uh, justification for doing this. You know, Texas was the la- one of the last states to join the union, and they did it by contract rather than uh, by annexation. So uh, they could possibly get out of that contract, and because well, no, after the Civil War they were allowed back into the Union like other states. But you know they could declare this is this is actual conversation going on. They could declare that they were uh, forced into the Union under duress. So and go back to the contract where they came into the Union. You know Texas was a sovereign nation, and um, of course you know what that would mean. Uh, anybody you know say liberals wanted to leave Texas, uh, you would need a visa to come back into the United States. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? But they may do it. You know, they may actually try to secede from the union. Now, imagine that. Texas has uh, uh, how many electoral votes? A couple. Um, So D.C. becomes a state. Puerto Rico becomes a state. You gain six electoral votes. You know, so I don't, I don't know. I think some interesting politics are going to happen here. Um, very interesting electoral votes uh, shifting around. So, you know, I don't care. I was in Texas for the Super Bowl. Um, uh, my wife at the time won tickets to the Super Bowl. And it was funny because they called me and I said, oh, okay. Yeah, she was be very happy. They said, well, you understand this isn't a joke. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'll tell her. And they were surprised I wasn't excited. I'd never been to a football game in my life, and I never watched one on television. You know, you might as well have told me I won tickets to, um, gosh, I don't know, uh, 
watching people thread pipes, watching plumbers thread pipes. I, I have no interest whatsoever in football or any other sport. So I knew my wife would be excited, though. And I said, I'll tell, oh, I'll tell her when she comes in, she'll be very excited. And they said, sir, you know, you, you won tickets to the Super Bowl. And I said, well, my wife did. I know. And she might want to bring a friend, but, you know, I'm – I'm not that excited about it. They were they were very stunned that I wasn't going, yay, hey, Super Bowl. So anyway, it was in Dallas, and they had a blizzard that year. And um, no one knew in, tech, in Dallas what to do with snow and ice. No one knew how to drive on it. No one knew how to walk on it. People were falling on their on their bahooties, and uh, people were driving at five miles an hour and skidding on the interstate. And uh, it was uh, – it was kind of funny to see. It was kind of funny to see. And uh, the one thing about the Super Bowl, it was Wisconsin versus Pittsburgh. So you had all these uh, winsome Wisconsin people wearing wedges of cheese on their head, and the people from Pittsburgh look, look going around trying to kill people. They really were. They were. I want to kill somebody from Pittsburgh, and the Wisconsin people going, oh, hey, hey, it's great. We're at the Super Bowl, and they had cheese on their head. It was very different. Um, personalities and there were like a hundred thousand of them in the in the dome down the superdome is that i don't know but uh it, it was good it was amazing to see that many people there for one event and i got an insight into it this was you know they'd saved for years to go to this event and this was so important to them and it was kind of like when i go to the metropolitan opera you know, I'm, if they told me I won two tickets to the Metropolitan Opera, I would have been very excited, and I, I had some empathy then for football fans and uh, <clears throat> that I'd never had before because it just seemed like foolishness to me up then. And you know, once I was sitting there with them and talking to them about it and how into it they were, just how into it they were, I could really understand it. But the oh, it was so cold and. Uh, I got hypothermia, you know, sitting there <laughs> and watching it. But it was, um, it was it was something to see. So that's the last time I knew that there was snow in um, Texas. But uh, their pipes are above ground, so nobody has any water. Um, and uh, that's why we should never think that because we have a certain condition, it's going to be that way always. Um, you know, it's like here's Texas. You know, it's like a desert, right? You know, it's like, hey, it's always going to be hot here. Uh, no, guess what? Texas weather changes. You know, we have ozone and we have greenhouse and we have the Earth shifts on its axis and uh, weather changes. The equator shifts and um, weather patterns change. Yes, you guys might be the new Antarctica. You know, in a couple hundred years, so. Things change. This is the Crystal Silence League where we talk about everything and anything. And uh, um, founded around 1917 by Mr. Claude Alexander Conlon for the purpose of projecting and distributing positive prayer and affirmation via the agency of the crystal. And we teach the practical use of crystals and crystal balls. And if you look on our recently renovated website, you see a gift shop where you can buy Secrets of the Crystal Silence League, a uh, edited ver version of books that Mr. Conlon wrote for dedicants of the Crystal Silence League on how to use crystals and crystal balls. You can also buy crystals and crystal balls via a link from that shop. You'll also see a page that lists all of the churches that are associated with the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches that resurrected the Crystal Silence League um, from the silence and put it on the interweb. And that is, can be found at www.crystalsilenceleague.org. And um, give me a moment to uh, wet my whistle, <clears throat> and uh, we shall head in that direction in just a moment. The time approaches for our weekly prayer service. If you are so inclined, join us at crystalsilenceleague.org to see this week's prayer request. And we have a lot of prayers this week. We have... Uh, I think we've got well over 120 new prayers this week since last time we were here praying. And as always, we preserve anonymity and 
we shall only call these out by prayer number. And I recognize many people that prayed this week. So let's uh, start with prayer ID number 102424, who prays, says, I please pray that BL and J are reconciled. If BL isn't the one for J, please pray that someone else will come into her life. Amen. And prayer ID 102418, it's a court case. Petition, urgent prayer, please pray this matter is dismissed today altogether and not out of court agreement if possible. The other party answerable under the fullest extent of the law. Amen. And prayer ID 102417, I pray for financial blessings so we can build our own house and a new job to support our family's basic needs. Amen. And prayer ID 102416, my fiancé, Jay, is having communication and trust issues for my sister's friends, L. She doesn't want to pay him the money required in doing house repairs and still demands Jay do the work around the house. <clears throat> L doesn't see that Jay and I could use the extra money. Jay doesn't get enough love and communication from L, which gives Jay trust. This is a complicated issue. Love and communication from L, which gives Jay trust issues. What's the prayer here? Also, Jay says L is treating him poorly. This stresses us both out to no end. Here we go. I want us all to get along as a family. This is difficult. Amen. And prayer ID 102415. Please, God, protect my animals from the harsh weather. Keep them warm and fed. She also prays, I ask for protection from the weather elements, and we pray for water and electricity, and please pray that we have food. Amen. And prayer ID 102413, I ask for prayers to birth my baby natural without any interventions, as this is my first baby, and to honor my birth plan and wishes by the hospital and my OBGYN. I pray for smooth, healthy delivery. Amen. And prayer number 102412, it says, M has a COVID test today. Please protect her and help her not to get it. They are making her get it for her colonoscopy test the next day. The test gives false positives and has bacteria on it. They can make one sick. Good Lord. If she gets the test, help her to get a saliva test instead and prevent her from getting sick from it. Also, help her to test negative for the virus. Protect her from this evil. Thank you. Amen. I would say don't test negative for the virus, but don't have the virus to begin with. Don't get a false negative. Prayer ID 102411, IKS, ask that you please remove the suicide curse on me ASAP. Thanks. Amen. That's one of my clients, and we are working on that. Even as we speak, we have prayer petitions and vigils burning for you, even as we speak in our church. Prayer ID 102410, I pray that SM thinks about me and misses me all day, that she fears losing me and stops taking me for granted that she truly evaluates her heart and is honest about her love for me. Amen. Lots of prayer, uh, prayers for relationships. Prayer ID 1024, you know what that is, Mercury Retrograde, 409. For S and D to be held in love, joy, and light to enjoy a successful marriage. Amen. And prayer ID 102408. Please pray that the blocks that are constantly being thrown in my path are removed. I'm trying to get money that's owed to me, and I'm constantly being put off about this. I just lost my job. I'm receiving unemployment, but that only lasts so long. I need this money. I take care of my mentally ill son and a disabled family member who had a stroke and is unable to work. Please pray for this money to come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. And then we have ID number 102406 and a series of gratitude prayers following. Thank you, Jupiter, for your gifts and loves, and please accept my offerings and help me properly pay you love. Thank you, Saints Anthony, Espedi, Jude, Michael, Saints Martin de Porres, Francis of Assisi, Son, Venus, Jupiter, and ancestors. Amen. And our weekly prayer from... R.T., 
prayer ID 102402. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish upon us the work of our hands. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. That's Psalm 90. And Mr. T says, please pray for me. I have congestive heart failure. Amen. Let's just do a couple of more. Uh, prayer ID 102397. I need prayer against all the black witchcraft birds and removal of pain in my body. CD is my new friend and KMR. CN is ruining my life. Amen. Oh, gosh. Let's see here. Uh, prayer ID 102391. Please pray that my friend and I will be reunited in honest friendship. After a two-year absence from each other's lives and a friendly reunion brings no harm or hurt to anyone. Let's take a moment of silent prayer and affirmation for all who needs comfort and support and healing. Well, we could probably talk about our crystal. Um, and now we will pause for station identification. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Buffet, Fridays, 1 to 2. And Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. Now we could talk about our crystal of the week, which is uh, sardonyx, which uh, which kind of cracked me up. I I was digging down in the bottom of my bag of um, obscure stones, and I thought, oh, here's sardonyx. And uh, it's funny because about a month ago, uh, Svengoolie aired uh, Doctor Sardonicus, which has got to be one of the funniest horror movies ever, uh, uh, because it's got the most unlikeliest premise. Because you know this guy witnessed a murder and it gave him a permanent rictus grin, and he went through the whole movie with uh, this um, permanent rictus grin. And so when I see Sardonyx, I think Doctor Sardon, Mister Sard, Mister Sardonicus, Mister Sardonicus, and uh, I can't help but thinking it. But um, despite its um, funny name um 
sardonyx is a uh, very interesting stone because it is um, a banded mixture of onyx and orange carnelian, and it's very pretty. Uh, most people think of when they think of onyx, they think you know it's black, but it can be in all different colors: uh, green, orange, uh, brown, blue, etc. And so you'll see um, a sardonyx. Uh, usually, it will have the orange carnelian, but it can also have this range of colors. And um, uh, cameos are often carved out of it because it's very pretty. And uh, it's uh, you can have the black onyx, but uh, you can sometimes see white onyx, uh, purple onyx, gray, brown, green, yellow, blue, red uh, with this carnelian, right? Um, and uh, so uh, sardonyx usually resonates with this um, um, chakra, which is the one that's below the root chakra and connects to the earth. It's, it's below your feet. Um, there's uh, two chakras that are not always recognized as uh, real quote-unquote chakras. One is the star chakra that's above your head and the earth chakra that's below your feet. But um, some people work with the sardonyx with the root chakra and uh, some people with the earth chakra uh, because it is a uh, one of the more grounding stones. And uh, uh, it can help um, greatly with uh, discipline, uh, willpower, focus. Uh, it helps people who have stage fright if they're, you know, speaking or acting. Um, and... Um, uh, it can help uh, that scattered feeling, help you focus if you had a scattered feeling. And um, uh, it um, it does all this because of that grounding action. Put your feet right on the ground, boom. And um, um, so um, it, uh, sometimes when you do uh, deep spiritual work, meditation, things like this, you uh, have trouble coming back to earth and uh, – um, it works very well. There's some people, they, there's a funny description. A friend of mine used to say, yes, some people have their head in the clouds and their feet on the ground. This can help people who describe themselves that way. Um, now, it can help in legal matters. Some people use it to help with legal matters, to bring justice um, over matters uh, that need a, a, a firm and swift uh, Resolution, especially matters that involve uh, legal matters involving uh, the settlement of property and financial transaction. Um, so I think it's a, a very interesting stone when you're bringing in um, uh, resolution of uh, negotiations of any sort. Uh, but that's, that's sardonyx. That's our uh, stone of the week. It's a very pretty stone. Um, and a uh, and very useful thing to have in your crystal toolkit, and not one that a lot of people um, recognize. I, I've seen it misidentified in uh, some rock shows. I've been at New Age fairs, and I go, oh, that's sardonyx, and, and they'll say, oh, no, it's a, a moon agate or something, a banded agate. And, uh, um, and uh, I say, I'm pretty sure it's sardonyx. You know, it's an agate. I saw... Um, uh, uh, a um, like the stone we had last week um, uh, misidentified as citrine, for instance, and uh, um, it's 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 interesting. It, it's it's very easy to do though. Very easy to do. We're talking about sex this week. I, I'm surprised I didn't get you know, like 30 people uh, in chat this week <coughs> showing up. Um, sexual misconduct and uh, we were talking about the uh, the precepts the buddhist precepts and one of them is to abstain from undertake the precept to abstain from sexual misconduct and i got a few emails that oh hey you know can you talk a little bit about that and um and yes i can um sexual misconduct is um uh, uh is a, is a sexual wrongdoing, and we, um, when Buddhism moved to various countries, it became um, um, integrated into the culture, and generally, um, generally speaking, um, 
sexual misconduct was whatever was prohibited by law in the um, in each land and um, adultery, uh, sex with minors, etc. But it, it's more than that. It is more than that uh, to the Buddhist practices. Um, be, simply because um, we, we're we're talking about a very refined sort of definition of sex. Now, um, <clears throat> first of all, I think we need to look at what sex is. Um, the sex drive in most circumstances is about the strongest urge there is in humans and other animals. And uh, this is true whether uh, – if you strip away all notions of religion, uh, this is true whether we think that uh, the sex drive was implanted in us by God or by the devil. It's strongest ur- one of the strongest urges we have. It could be denied all direct expression, obviously, right? You can you can take a vow of celibacy. You can just say, I'm not going to express my sex in any way, including masturbation. And whether or not this is a good thing or so depends very much on how it's done and why it's done. And when you consider sex and religion, we find that it's done quite often. Celibacy is done quite often. And it's done in the Buddhist Sangha, and it's done in the Roman Catholic Church, which is the two most obvious examples, but also in hundreds of other uh, spiritual practices. Now, <clears throat> the ostensible reason for such a course may be very different, and they are. They really are. Now, the Catholic Church adopted many practices of the Buddhist universities, and celibacy was one of them, the rosary bees were another. And there's, there's historical evidence that um, – uh, the the Catholic monasteries were based on the Buddhist universities, um, but you're looking at utterly different religious models. Uh, you, you can't say, well, they're all the same thing. You cannot, with a agnostic or with a non-theistic religion or non non-theistic practice like Buddhism and a theistic religion like Catholicism, you can't you cannot say that they're the same. Um, now. <clears throat> There's no doubt that a good deal of respect that's shown the Buddhist bhikkhu and the Catholic priest is because of the commitment to celibacy, um, the knowledge of the celibacy. Now, in many parts of the world, um, these, these men are regarded as either supermen or hypocrites, and in some parts of the world um, – some scandal arises from it because of these practices. Um, now, both communities do include quite a few hypocrites, as we know. Even even in the Buddhist community, there's been um, uh, sexual scandals. Um, but also, both communities contain uh, supermen, saints. They contain you know saintly people. So, for the vast majority of people. There's no question of trying to maintain a celibate lifestyle, though you can't do it. And I've attended many Dharma talks, talks from uh, Buddhist uh, uh, lamas and B- Buddhist bhikkhus, and someone in the audience said, says, well, what if the whole, if the whole world joined, became Buddhist monks and and stuff? What would become of the world? What would become of humanity? Humanity would die out. And uh, you know, the the lama or the Biku will give an, a detailed answer, but the bottom line comes is uh, it's pretty safe not to worry about that. The whole world is not going to become celibate, <laughs> and you know, not even most of the world, or the majority of the world is not going to become celibate. Not going to take the robe and you know take Buddhist vows or even Catholic vows. So, because the biological of sex is um, is imperative, um, and and the thing is, it's an impersonal force. The sex drive is an impersonal force, and we tend to think of it in very personal terms, but in actual fact, it's a force that just flows through us, and it uses us. It uses our most uh, wonderful and inspiring and poetic emotions for its own ends, which is entirely concerned with the continuance of the species as a whole. And the idea that, that sex is a private and wonderful thing between you know you or me and our lover, it's it's simply a part of our general illusion of samsara. Although 
sex is a prolific breeder of illusions. It can lead a person to think that he or she has found the most wonderful person in the whole world, that the one, while everybody else is thinking, what on earth, you know, is, is, is can, can he or she see in the other person? And if you don't think that's true, do what I do for a living and have people tell you, well, I know we're meant to be together. I know we're soulmates. And you're sitting there rubbing your head thinking, God, oh God almighty, how do you tell this person? You know, um, this sexual drive creates so many delusions that this is, this is a something bigger than what it is, which is an expression of clinging and attachment. Of course, to the Buddhists, sex is an expression and maybe the chief expression of that tanha or craving, which brings dukkha invariably in its train. So it's quite logical. We seek to bring it under control and understand it. Even if you're a layman, you know, as I am, who enjoys a sexual relationship um, with his or her wife or husband, right? Um, it's therefore logical to try to bring that under control and understand it rather than let it um, rule you and control you. So in a sense, that's all there is to this whole question. So the aim of the sincere uh, Buddhist practitioner is to bring about the cessation of craving. And from the individual point of view, there's no other reason for sexual restraint than this to bring about the cessation of craving. That's why you practice sensual restraint. Now, the Catholic Church has different reasons for that. Uh, the the yearning and craving thing never comes up. Um, but but from this broader ethical point of view, there are other reasons which are no less important. If we behave recklessly and irresponsibly in sexual matters, we can cause untold catastrophe. We can cause immense harm to others and to society. We can trifle with other people's emotions in manipulative and evil ways. We can bring unwanted children into the world and ah, this uh, unimaginable evil. But none of these things would, of course, happen if we could control our own and I, I, I use that term very loosely, sexuality. Our own I use it that way because we've got to remember sex is an impersonal force working through us. It's not our sexuality. It's an impersonal force of nature, and that's, that's why it's so hard to control. Because Total sexual control in the sense of perfect abstinence is quite obviously only for the few. It's only for the few. And I'll tell you that I, I, I practiced celibacy myself for four years. It, it was not that hard for me. And um, I had very good teachers, though. I had very good teachers. I had very good bhikkhu teachers. I was going to take the robe. I was going to become a bhikkhu. But I changed my mind. I, I went a different path. But for four years, I practiced total celibacy. And by total celibacy, in the Buddhist sense, that's everything. You know, no no masturbation, nothing. Um and it's perhaps one mistake of the Roman Catholic Church that it seeks to impose its discipline on too many people, and and too absolutely, um, and and many and the Catholic Church is starting to recognize this. You have to have a calling to celibacy. There's got to be a calling for it. It's not for everybody, but in fact, there will always be more than sufficient people willing, and determined, and called to keep the human race going. And society's problem is rather. Um, to prevent the population explosion from getting completely out of hand. Um, and this is why there's this dreary argument about uh, the, the the sacredness of sex and the uh, sacredness of uh, birth uh, no birth control, uh, the, the pill, etc. Um, now, there's lots of ways to control the sex urge. Many of them are bad. Uh, uh, many of them are good. Of course, one is through fear, fear of fear of hellfire, fear of venereal disease, uh, etc. Uh, not a not a particularly good way. Uh, although it will work, it's what people use on their kids. It doesn't work very well, and uh, not always um, not always wholly harmful, but uh, can certainly lead to a lot of damage. Um, and there are many unfortunate consequences of uh, sexual intercourse that is not uh, untamed sensual intercourse without thought. 
and we should be aware of them. Um, and um, in Buddhism, um, unconstrained uh, sensual ple- indulgence in sensual pleasure is uh, believed in some uh, schools to lead to uh, very unpleasant rebirth. But of course, an exaggerated fear of dreadful penalties for having sex is not very, very helpful, very useful psychologically. Uh, and in other ways, repression, and that's not a conscious process. It's a, uh, it's a form of successful self-deception, um, a result of which we're not consciously aware of a thing. And repression, um, uh, as ought to be better known, and that's what people say when you say, well, you know, you, so you sublimate the sex. Well, repression is not good. That's not the th- same – repression is not the same thing as suppression. And um, uh, repression is usually very unhealthy. Voluntary suppression is an entirely different thing. And very few people, in actual fact, have really transcended sex, although quite a lot of people seem to think they have. Um, They never connect their resultant psychological problems with the root cause, which is sexual repression. But it should be very firmly stated that if we can do it, suppression with awareness does little or no harm. This has been practiced for thousands of years, uh, and a great deal of sexual energy can be uh, canalized or sublimated into other things, art, music, intense religious faith, and so on. And people um, are well-known in all religious groups who've done this with more or less success. And those who've attained the meditative absorptions known as the jhanas may find they're in an emotional outlet which is superior to that of sex. And this is one of the true secrets of celibacy is intense meditative absorption. And this is fine and to the good. But these things are not in themselves entirely solve the problem, at least in the ultimate um, um, sense. Now, I will tell you that in um, uh, in Buddhism, lay people are not um, required to give up sex. Bhikkhus are, and um, uh, it's one of the killing. Um, it's, it's called killing. Uh, Offenses, and by that they don't kill you, but they, they kick you out of the sangha if you have sexual intercourse. Um, masturbation, you're just you just you're supposed to uh, confess it and um, not do it again. But sexual intercourse, and you're it's a killing offense. Your your practice is killed, and you're kicked out of the sangha. Um, um, the um, so gaining control um, a, a lot of control is simply to sit with it um, the um, and be mindful of it, but I, I want to get into this whole idea of misconduct um, the um it originated the whole idea of this misconduct originated in a monastic setting you know these these uh, simple men joined the sangha and um were um uh, you know some of these guys were very simple uh, some of them were highly advanced they were brahmins you know they, they high ethical but some of these people were very simple and the buddha set them down and said you know you can't just follow uh, every thought that comes in your head and especially you know this sex thing and and the buddha said Monks, I'll tell you, there is no more seductive form to man than that of woman, and no more seductive form to woman than that of man. These two things will lead you to hell. And you know, by by this, um, it was a downfall. He meant a, a spiritual downfall, and to great suffering. And he was talking about the sex urge and misconduct, whether legal, moral, or social. Um, is something that is to be condemned. Misconduct is something that we all recognize is wrong, regardless of what it is, whether it's moral, social, legal. It's something that we know is reprehensible. Misconduct is something you shouldn't do, right? So when we talk about sexual misconduct, the first thing that comes to mind is rape. 
That's the far end of the spectrum, violent rape. We know rape is wrong. Everybody knows rape is wrong, right? Boom, it's wrong. Now, closer to the middle of that is um, um, boorishness uh, and uh, groping, um, date rape, um, um, we we have things now that um, we're more aware now of sexual improprieties, sexual misconduct, um, and we have things that uh, there are Buddhist terms for it that translated to English like impure sexuality, unchaste conduct, misuse of sex, and what causes all of these are. The word tanha, which is attachment, greed, grasping, and desire, the root of all evil in Buddhism, right? And you look closely at sexual misconduct, it's very subtle. Um, there's more to it than first meets the eye. Yes, we know adultery creates misery. We know that when a person sleeps with someone who is legally or morally or ethically bonded in some emotional way to someone else, and, and you know, I, well, and we we come up with the well, the marriage is dead. Why not? Why can't I? My marriage to my wife is dead. Why can't I sleep with another woman for my emotional um, needs, my emotional rescue, my emotional survival? We come up with all these justifications because you made a promise. You made a promise, and if you break a promise that you made, something in you will die. You you took a wedding vow. You made a promise, and it's not got anything to do with your wife. You made a promise to yourself. Do you see? This is very subtle. Your marriage is not over until it's over. And it's not over until you go through whatever is necessary to make it over. You made a promise, and you broke the promise to yourself. Something in you will die, I can guarantee you. It's very subtle. Once you start compromising your integrity, it's very difficult to stop. Impure sexuality. So, sexual misconduct. So, boorishness. Okay, groping. Um, the Me Too movement brought to light a lot of this. Um, I see it all the time on social media. People send unsolicited uh, graphic pictures. People say uh, inappropriate things. And the entirety of social media is full of this. I can go down my Facebook wall right now, and people have posted memes. They have posted um, uh, – made uh, postings of overdisclosure of sexual matters that I consider sexually inappropriate. When these things are made visible to me, it's sexually inappropriate. I don't care about your sex life. I don't care who you're screwing. I don't care um, where you have piercings on parts of your body that I don't want to see. Uh, I don't care. Uh, I mean, there's some outrageously overly disclosing sexual. It's sexual misconduct by definition. And I'm not going to tell you not to do it, but don't include me in it. It's sexually inappropriate. It's sexual misconduct. Putting something like that publicly on Facebook where I can see it, that's that's as offensive as sending somebody an unsolicited nude picture. Consensual sex, I'm going to tell you something. You can consent to a sexual encounter, but what happens after that sexual encounter may not be what was promised at the beginning, right? Not all consensual sex is mutual. Consensual does not always mean mutual or shared or voluntary. And what may seem consensual on the surface may not always be so. What about sexual relations between a teacher and a student or between a therapist and a client or between two adulterers? Are they consensual? Are they really? So that's what you've got to look at when you talk about sexual misconduct from a Buddhist point of view. What's going on under the surface? What are the unconscious motives? How much is self-deception? And then when you see what the unintended consequences could be, they can be disastrous. 
They can be disastrous, and you may not even see it until it's too late. So all this is to say there are forms of sexual violence that are very much closer to home than you might realize. And if we don't, if we don't speak up in these cases, whether we're speaking for ourselves or for others, it can be a serious failing. And failure to speak up when you see sexual misconduct is also sexual misconduct. So sexual misconduct really um, deals with a lot of things. Um, mindfulness um, and our treatment of people, our conscious and unconscious impulses to take advantage of the susceptibility of others for our own emotional or physical gratification. And sometimes sexuality is not physical. It can be emotional and it can be mental. Um, and it addresses our relationship to our own sexuality. And if we look at the translations of the word for the causes of sexual misconduct, greed, attachment, grasping, and desire, you, you see some interesting nuances. Okay, there's sex addiction, right? And people get treatment for sex addiction. And this is um, a repetitive, you know, addiction is a repetitive emotional grasping for something that uh, you've lost control of, right? You, you must have it, you have to have it. Um, there's addiction to pornography, right? And um, and because of, uh, you know, when, when I was in high school or college even, if you were addicted to pornography, you had to go out and buy it. You had to go to these little stores that were holes in the wall, um, dimly lit holes in the wall, and buy um, uh, pornography of the type you wanted. Um, uh, and But the Internet now, you can get anything, anything, anything you want. And um, um, and the the scary thing is, I, I believe that most men learn about sex through um, pornography, pornographic videos, and that does not train a man to be a good lover. Um, when when I talk to other men about sex, it I, I can tell you when somebody has learned it from watching pornography that they don't understand um, the the nuances of being a good lover. Um, so when we talk about this greed, attachment, grasping, and desire, um, it, it sounds innocuous, but what happens when you desire something that is meant for – that belongs to somebody else? You desire their car. You desire their money. What happens when you desire someone's spouse – uh, you desire someone's daughter. You desire um, something so inappropriate. I can't even. I'm not even going to say it on the air. Now, on the surface, we, we you know we live in such jaded times. It just seems like adultery is not that big a deal. But yes, it is. It really is. It really is a big deal. We we cannot be so jaded morally that we think that breaking moral oaths and promises and vows. Breaking any promise is a big deal. Any promise, you break a promise, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. When you start going down that road and thinking it's okay to make a promise and break it, and it doesn't just shatter you inside that you broke a promise, then you've coarsened your soul. What about the harm done to the other person? When we we say, okay, my emotional survival, my emotional needs, I'm going to do that. I'm going to break this oath, this promise, this the you know if there is any kind of covenant or sanctity, it's got to be in a marriage, you know, for goodness sake. And you break it. It's catastrophic. It never ends well. Now, infidelity and not really speaking about the possibility of abuse of others relates to. Um, the other, the fourth precept as well, which is uh, not lying. So um, you have an intersection of uh, sexual misconduct and wrong speech. And when you start down these paths, it becomes very slippery. When you start justifying lying, you say, okay, it's okay to lie if it prevents hurt. Where do you draw a line there? A white lie to, to um, hurt to spare someone's feelings. 
that I've never seen that work either. Um, there's situations where you um, arrange a situation where you allow yourself to be seduced so you can blame the other person. It wasn't my fault. I was seduced. But you understand that you were complicit to that. That's the worst kind of lie. You lie to yourself. And um, we're all, in a sense, interconnected. The, the human race, we're all interconnected. So in a sense, we're all potential lovers to each other. We, we're all potentially attracted to each other. And to deny that would be self-deception. We're all attracted to each other. We're all potential lovers for each other. And and to deny that to our partner would be foolish too. But practice um, fidelity means that we choose today not to take advantage of other people. And if we deny that we're not attracted to other people, we're not practicing fidelity. We're practicing possessiveness. And uh, you kind of wind up in a sexual dead end, and you resent your partner. And that's where fidelity, that's where infidelity occurs. When you start to resent your partner, you feel trapped. But if you understand that we are attracted, you know, the whole world is a potential lover, and you know that, and you choose fidelity, then there's no resentment. And the idea that um, sex is sacred, that sex is a sacrament between two people, um, it, it, it's a nice thought. It's a nice thought, but there's no no basis to it. Um, it it's something that we have created that uh, because we're afraid – we're afraid that we can't be faithful. We don't trust ourselves to be faithful. And this is where things come in. But we, we could say that sex is a sacred energy. It keeps the life of the world renewing itself. Procreation is a very sacred thing. We create life. Without sex, we wouldn't be here. This is the process of creating life. And all religious traditions know this deeply. It's just the the practice of religion has bastardized it. Um, some of the um, some religions have used sexual symbols and sexual practices to tap into the sacred energy, but these practices have almost nothing to do with our ordinary experience of sexuality. And uh, in fact, sacred sexual energy and its transformations are well known uh, by those who engage at a um, deep level. In the practice of celibacy, uh, tantric Buddhism, for instance, and it's important to realize that our human sexuality is nothing like animal sexuality. We are highly cognitive with many conceptual dimensions with our sexuality. To try to compare the human sexuality with animal sexuality is, is wrong. It's mistaken. It occurs on entirely different cognitive levels. And... Um, um, so what would it be like to be fully in touch with that sacred sexual energy? We don't know. And, but it's easier to ask what, it, what, what it's like to not be in touch with it. Um, if you consider the, um, the difference between our relationship to pleasure and pain, it becomes pretty obvious because we're pretty good at dealing with pain. We know more about pain than we do about pleasure. Um, we know that if we avoid pain – and want it over with, we make it worse. Um, various spiritual practices have taught us that if we can be, if we can sit with the pain and be with pain in the present, we discover quite a bit about it. Um, even modern medicine, modern science has taught a, a sitting practice of pain. You sit with the pain, and you you gain wisdom about the pain. But we don't tend to think of pleasure in these terms. When pleasure occurs, even like when you're eating ice cream. Our attention is focused on having more of it, not bringing an end to it, but having more of it, attaching to it. But in the case of sexual pleasure, we're rushing to the conclusion of it, to the orgasm, to the outcome. But the practice of actually trying to be present in the moment is to give up any goal, any effort 
any ideas or any attempt to control it, and any sense of self. And can you do that sexually? Mm. So being present with pleasure is to be fully in touch with that sacred energy of the moment and generously sharing it with the other person. And most people that I've spoken with about sex are very selfish about it. And um, self-nature is very wondrous. Um, in, in the practice of dharma, there's nothing to grasp. There's nothing to give rise to attachment. And impure sexuality cannot rise when there's nothing to grasp. And um, um, so body mind and consciousness is empty of desire this is the way of uh, pure sexuality um, and when you think about that much of the language about sex has to do with fire you got in the heat of passion burning desire uh, he, he has a new flame this is the fire of creation it's not just my sacred energy or your sacred energy we need to be in touch with it's the fire of all creation but that's also the fire of desire, and it can burn you. So we got to be very careful with this. We have to be very careful. So if we want to um, get away from this idea of desire and attachment, um, what can we um, um, what can we do with it? Well, we talk about the pure bodies that we dwell in. Metta, karuna, mudita, and upekha, which is friendliness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And these are the objects of meditation that we dwell on. And these take the place of desire and grasping and self. And the, uh, the perfections and the pure bodies and the perfections are giving, conduct, and restraint, wisdom, energy, and patience, truthfulness, resolution, friendliness, and equanimity. And the pure bodies, the paramitas, the, they're called the paramitas, um, the pure bodies, the, the uh, pure abodes, metta, which is friendliness, karuna, which is compassion, mudita, which is sympathetic joy, and upeka, which is equanimity. And we'll have to pick those up next time. But these are the objects of meditation. These are um, traits that are cultivated and over time, these take the place of of a tanha of desire. These take the place of concept of self, and by dwelling in these um, states, these abidings, you dwell here. Um, the mind and the the body and the uh, consciousness becomes filled with these, and uh, you develop luminous mind. And you don't you don't think so much about. Um, this rather contradictory thing the more um the more we seek after this ple after pleasure sensual pleasure the unhappier we are isn't that funny the more you run after pleasure the more disappointed and unhappy we become the more disastrous things are but we'll pick that up next week as always the reverend loves you and we'll talk to you next week this has been the Crystal Silence League Hour, heard exclusively on the LMC Radio Network. Join us next time for spiritual fellowship and discussion of spirituality, prayer, and advice on the practical use of crystals. It's been 30 days since the county bought it up a window and took the kids away. I've disappeared on tiptoe I'm talking to a man Who reads tomorrow's past and present mysteries He's an eastern band Cherokee, rich with family history Shepherds, the church of divine harmony, serving lost lambs of Knoxville, Tennessee. He faithfully.
holy praise with the crystal silence league. Reverend St. Germain operates a jack he feeds at night hanging from a chain. He sealed his hair in wax and wound it tightly. Clearing paths of sandalwood and chicory Decorating homes With babies for a strong instead of victory